Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. We look at verses 11 through 31 today. Our message series is called Lead Me to the Cross. Uh, Together we are following Jesus' final steps on his way to the cross. We're learning how these events relate to us and to our lives as followers of Jesus, as we follow Jesus to the cross. A few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' first trial, uh, his trial before Caiaphas, the high priest. Today, we come to Jesus' second trial, uh, his trial before Pontius Pilate. So we're in Matthew 27, and I'm just going to read verses 11 through 14 as we get started. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Matthew 27, verses 11 through 14. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look at uh, these verses and the verses following this morning, as we look at this second trial of Jesus, Lord, we open our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to come and to do your work in us. Lord, if there are areas where we need to change, if there are things in our life that we need to yield to you today, speak to us and help us to obey you and to follow you to the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, today we come to Jesus on trial, part two. We saw that the first trial, uh, the one we looked at a number of weeks ago, that Jesus' first trial was marked by illegal proceedings, false witnesses, and distorted testimony. And sadly, this second trial doesn't fare much better. There was actually a third trial before Herod uh, as well. We read about that in the Gospel of Luke, but Matthew doesn't even bother recording that one. The focus here is on Jesus before Pilate. And if you were hoping that Jesus would receive justice at this second trial, you will be sorely disappointed. The whole purpose of a trial, right? The whole purpose of a trial is to clear the innocent and to condemn the guilty, right? But in this particular trial, it is the innocent party that is condemned while the guilty person is set free. Now we saw at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 27, how the Jewish leaders bound Jesus and they led him away and they handed him over to Pilate the governor. And although they proclaimed Jesus worthy of death at that first trial, they have no authority. Under Roman law, they have no authority to put Jesus to death. They cannot enact the death penalty, so they bring him to Pilate. Remember, that first trial had a predetermined outcome. 
And that's because they were the ones in charge, right? They could fix that trial however they wanted. But now Pilate is in charge. So this trial is going to require a little more finesse to get things to go their way. There's an outline in your worship guide. I would encourage you to take that out at this time to follow along. But let's begin now. Jesus stands before Pilate for questioning. Jesus stands before Pilate, and the trial begins, as Matthew records it for us, with Jesus affirming that he is the king of the Jews. Look at verse 11 with me now. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And that you, and in Pilate's question, it is emphatic. It's perhaps even a little derisive. Pilate looks at this beat-up bound prisoner standing before him and just looks at him and like, are you? Really? You? You the king of the Jews? And it's an interesting question. It seems to come out of nowhere for us, but obviously it was preceded uh, by the Jewish leaders bringing their accusations against Jesus. You couldn't bring someone to trial without an accusation. And Matthew doesn't tell us what those accusations were. He lets us sort of infer them. But if you go to another gospel, the gospel of Luke, Luke tells us they brought three charges against Jesus. Three charges. Number one, they accused him of subverting the nation. Number two, they accused him of opposing payment of taxes to Caesar. And number three, they accused him of claiming to be Christ a king. A king. And I want you to notice that these are all new charges. They didn't bring any of that up at the first trial, right? At the first trial, they accused Jesus of blasphemy. That's why they uh, said he is worthy of death. But they know Pilate won't be interested in that. Pilate has no interest in religious charges, and so they bring these more politically oriented charges against him instead. So they've got these three charges. Pilate focuses on the third charge that Jesus claims to be Christ a king. And so he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus says, yeah, yes, it is as you say. This is the third time that Jesus has answered this same way now in just the space of a few hours. He f- said the same thing to Judas at the Last Supper when Judas asked him, am I the betrayer? It's not me, Lord. And Jesus said, yes. It is as you say. And then he said the same thing to Caiaphas at that first trial when Caiaphas asked him, are you the Christ? He said, yes, it is as you say. Now he says the same thing to Pilate when Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Pilate, he's trying to give Jesus an out here. Okay, For a number of reasons, Pilate becomes convinced Very early on in this trial, he becomes convinced of Jesus' innocence. And as you'll see, he tries repeatedly to set Jesus free. And so here he gives Jesus the chance to escape. He gives Jesus the first chance by asking, are you really the king of the Jews? And it's sort of like, all you got to do is say no, right? Just say no, and the trial's over, you can go free. But Jesus answers in the affirmative, And so the trial goes on. And then, similar to the first trial, Jesus makes no reply to his accusers. 
No reply at all. Look at verses 12 through 14. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, those were those three charges they were bringing, he gave no answer. And then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. So Pilate, he is just stunned at Jesus' silence. I mean, Pilate's used to this. He's presided at many trials, right? Most prisoners do what? They loudly protest their innocence. Jesus doesn't say a word. Charles Spurgeon comments, he might have cleared himself of every accusation that was brought against him, but that would have left the load of guilt upon those whose place he came to take. So he never answered a word. Such silence was sublime. Jesus stood silent before his accusers at his first trial, and now he does it again. He was innocent of all charges, yet he refused to defend himself. Jesus was willing to stand condemned so that you and I could be set free. So Jesus has suffered this second round now of false charges and accusations from the Jewish leaders, but now we come to an even greater miscarriage of justice when the crowd chooses Barabbas over Jesus. And we'll take a look now and see, how did that come about? How did that happen? Well, Pilate's first attempt to set Jesus free, that failed. So Pilate moves on to strategy number two. And he tries to get the crowd to ask for Jesus' release. Look at verses 15 through 18. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they, meaning the Jewish uh, chief priests and elders, that they had handed Jesus over to him. So uh, they have this prisoner in custody, but Barabbas, notorious, bad guy, okay? Matthew doesn't tell us what his uh, crimes were, but once again, if you go and look in the other Gospels, you get the information. We find out that Barabbas was a robber, perhaps an insurrectionist, and he was also a murderer. And so surely the people will choose Jesus, right, rather than have a robber and a murderer released back into society? So Pilate, you know, this is his strategy. He offers the crowd a choice. He says, you can either choose this notorious criminal Barabbas or the innocent man Jesus, who is called Christ, right? You can see which way Pilate's leaning here because he knows it's out of envy that the leaders handed Jesus over to him. Pilate was not a very good judge at the second trial. You see, he was not a good judge, but apparently he was a good judge of character. He knows Jesus is innocent. He knows what the, the leaders are up to. So he tries to get the crowd now to ask for Jesus' release. Meanwhile, this gets really interesting now, meanwhile, Pilate's wife gets into the action. Pilate's wife sends a message to him, warning him of Jesus' innocence. Look at verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. 
Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So the action's going on. Pilate's sitting in his seat. The, the trial's going on. He's, you know, this message comes in from the, his wife. She's had a dream. Really, really, almost probably more like a nightmare. But some type of dream about Jesus that's causing her all this distress. And we're not told the content of the dream. But this dream in some way confirmed to her that Jesus is innocent. So she sends Pilate this message. She says, don't do it. Don't have anything to do with it. This man's innocent. Do not condemn him. And so now Pilate has yet another reason to declare Jesus innocent. First, he himself is convinced of Jesus' innocence. He knows the Jewish leaders are just doing this out of envy. And now his wife has this dream. There are supernatural forces at play also confirming Jesus' innocence. And Pilate thinks he has a slam dunk now with the second strategy, right? With the Barabbas or Jesus offer. I mean, there is no way, no way that the people will choose Barabbas over Jesus. They don't want Barabbas released. They're going to pick Jesus by default. He's got this. But what he didn't count on was the Jewish leader's influence with the crowd. And we see that the leaders persuade the crowd to ask for Barabbas instead. Verses 20 to 23. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. He's waiting to hear Jesus, right? Barabbas, they answered. Well, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered him, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And so Pilate's whole strategy here has backfired on him. When he asked the crowd for their choice, to his surprise and dismay, what do they do? They ask for Barabbas. This is ridiculous. Jesus did what? Jesus went around doing good, healing people, teaching the people. But they choose Barabbas, a robber and a murderer, over Jesus. William Barclay comments, they preferred the man of violence to the man of love. Later on, the Apostle Peter would remind the people, Acts chapter 3, he would remind them, he said, you handed Jesus over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One, and you asked that a murderer be released to you. It's easy to condemn the crowd here. But before you come down too hard on them, examine yourself for a moment. Who or what have you chosen over Jesus at times in your life? How many times have you been given the choice and you've chosen someone or something else over Jesus? So the crowd cries out for Barabbas to be released. Pilate's dumbfounded. He says, well, what do I do with Jesus then? Who's called Christ? And they say, crucify him. 
Pilate goes, what? He tries to dissuade them. He's still trying to get Jesus free. He says, why? What crime has he committed? And you notice the people don't even have an answer, right? They don't have any crime. They just keep shouting, crucify him, crucifying him. And isn't that the way it always goes, right? When you don't have a good argument, just shout all the louder, right? People still do that today. Pilate says, well, what do I do? With Jesus, who's called Christ. And Pilate's question raises a similar question for us today. What will you do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Every one of us will one day be held accountable for what we have personally decided about Jesus. Once again, have you chosen Jesus in your life? Or something else. The crowd cries out for Barabbas. They cry out, crucify him. So Pilate washes his hands of the matter and declares his own innocence. Look at verses 24 and 25. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is Your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. So Pilate, getting nowhere, it's getting close to a riot now. So what does he do? Instead of declaring Jesus innocent, he declares himself innocent. You see that? He washes his hands in front of the whole crowd says, I am innocent of this man's blood. If only it were that easy. Right? If only we could make ourselves innocent simply by saying so. But the truth of the matter is no amount of water can wash away your sins. Only the blood of Jesus covers your sin. Pilate tells the crowd, it's your responsibility. Well, where have we heard that before? Do you remember, right? That's exactly the same thing that the Jewish leaders said to Judas. When Judas returned the money to the temple... He said, what is, they said, said to him, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. And it seems like nobody wants to take responsibility for Jesus' death here. The Jewish leaders blame Judas, and then they pass Jesus off to Pilate. Pilate blames the crowd, and then he tries to pass the responsibility on to the people. And then finally, the people gladly receive it. They say, yeah, we'll do it. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Sadly, this verse here, Historically, this verse has been wrongly used to justify anti-Semitism in the past, blaming Jesus' death on the Jewish people and therefore justifying all sorts of mistreatment or atrocity against the Jews. That's not what this verse teaches. That's not what this says at all. There's nothing anti-Semitic about this verse. There's nothing anti-Semitic about anything in the Bible. Jesus died for sin, right? We all have sinned. And therefore, we are all 
responsible, equally all responsible for Jesus' death. It was your sin and mine that put Jesus on the cross. Pilate washes his hands. He declares himself innocent. There is only one innocent person here. And it's not Pilate. Pilate tries to avoid responsibility, but he is just as responsible as everyone else. Yes, he tried hard to get Jesus released. First he gave Jesus the chance. Then he gave the crowd the opportunity. But when it came down to the end of it, he was the one with the authority. And he chose not to release an innocent man. And so Pilate washes his hands in vain. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then Pilate releases Barabbas and hands Jesus over to be crucified. Verse 26, then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The guilty man goes free. The innocent man is condemned to death. Once again, there's only one innocent person here. The Jewish leaders, they're guilty. They're guilty of false accusations and persuading the crowd against Jesus. Barabbas is guilty of multiple crimes. The crowd is guilty of choosing Barabbas over Jesus. Pilate is guilty for condemning an innocent man to death. Jesus is the only innocent one here. And Pilate hands him over to be crucified. Pilate sentenced Jesus to death, but it is the sentence over Pilate's head that endures throughout history. For Pilate's actions are recorded in the Gospels. His name is memorialized in the Apostles' Creed. The creed, which has been read in churches all over the world for centuries and centuries, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Jesus suffered injustice under Pontius Pilate, but now he also suffers emotional and physical abuse as the soldiers mock and abuse him. Look at our closing verses now, 27 through 31. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him. And put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Do you recall Jesus was abused after his first trial before Caiaphas the high priest? Now he is abused again after his second trial before Pontius Pilate. After the first trial, the temple guards mocked him as a prophet. Now the Roman guards mock him as a king. 
First they flog him, a, a punishment that was brutal enough in itself, but then, then they dress him up like a king, right? Look, look at this. They put a scarlet robe on his shoulders just like a king would wear. They take, you know, king needs a crown. They take that crown of thorns and press it into his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they kneel before him. Hail, king of the Jews, mocking him, spitting on him. Then they take the the staff from his hand and they strike him on the head with it again and again. When they're finished, they, they remove the robe, they put his own clothes on him and they lead him away to Mount Calvary to crucify him. They literally lead Jesus to the cross where he died for you. And what happened here with Jesus and Barabbas is a picture of what Jesus has done for you and for me. Think about it. Jesus is the Son of God who lived a perfect life. He never once sinned. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. The just punishment for sin is death. And so we are all condemned to death for our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, the innocent died for the guilty. I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. We are all Barabbas because Jesus died so that we could live. You see, the bad news of Jesus' trial before Pilate, the bad news here is that an innocent man was condemned to death and the guilty person was set free. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. Same thing. An innocent man was condemned to death and the guilty are set free. Just as Jesus died in Barabbas' place, Jesus also died in our place. We were the guilty ones, guilty as sin. But Jesus has removed our guilt by his death, and he has set us free. Praise the Lord. Three men died on Calvary that day. The middle cross was meant for Barabbas. But Jesus was crucified there instead. Jesus died in Barabbas' place. Has Jesus died in your place? Let us pray. Dear Lord, our hearts grieve when we see the injustice and brutality and mistreatment that Lord Jesus you are Lord and Savior suffered on the way to the cross Lord you from what we read today you, you had suffered so much already and you, you were not even at the cross yet and Lord we know that you suffered all of those things for us you were innocent innocent we are the guilty ones 
It is we who deserve your place, and yet it was you who took our place. And we are forever grateful, eternally grateful, for the salvation that you purchased for us at the price of your own blood. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.